Okay, let's go to Psalm 145. And we will focus on verse 17 today. Verse 17. I'll read it to you first. We'll have a word of prayer. Then we'll dive into the text in front of us here. It says, The Lord is righteous in all His ways. Depending on your translation, you might see, and holy in all His deeds, or and kind in all His deeds. Or you might have another word there. We've got some things to learn today. Heavenly Father, We need your help. We've got your word open in front of us, and we have your spirit within us to teach us. And now we just sit at your feet and say, teach us, Lord. May our hearts be ready. May we receive from your word today the nourishment we need for our souls, that we might be well fed, that we might be uplifted, that we might be encouraged as we go into another week. I pray, Lord, that you undergird hearts today. As we deal with a passage like this, it sounds so simplistic, and yet there is so much depth to it. We don't want to miss. Help us today, we pray, to glean much from your field. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there are times in life, and you know it, I know it too, where the pieces don't seem to come together right. Your pastor preaches from this text here, and he uses verses like verse number one that says, uh, I will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. And then he will challenge you to put that into practice during the week. To bless his name continuously. And then things come up during the course of the week, and suddenly that is challenged, isn't it? And you say, well, Lord, how does that work? When there's a piece that seems to be out of place in the picture of life, some of you know some pretty tough ones. Some of you have been through some pretty tough ones. And you say, how does this fit? How are we to praise Him continuously when things don't seem to be in the right place? Notice in verse 17, there's both times there's a phrase, that uses the word all. That is the biggest challenge of the verse, to tell the truth. To understand that the Lord is righteous is not hard for us, is it? We can appreciate that. Yes, we read it so often in Scripture. We've come to be absolutely convinced of that, that the the Lord is righteous. We believe, as you King James holders this morning, who might have that Bible, that the Lord is holy. And you say, yes, I have no trouble with that. You see in some who carry the New American Standard Version and others, the word kind there. And you say, well, yes, he's kind. There's a small hesitancy. Yes, he's kind. What's our next word usually? But. It says all behind both of, or all three of those words, whichever one you happen to carry. It has the word all. I'm going to take you on what I'm going to now affectionately call the adventures in the Septuagint. 
I've already told you before, we found some weird things. And believe it or not, I was not looking for it, and it sprung on me again this week. I'm going through just happily working through my text and saying, this is great. And here we've already gone three weeks into Psalm 145, and wouldn't you know it, there's another weird thing. And I said, why? Why? Here it is. You ready for this? This psalm... I didn't know it because I didn't look it up because I'm taking one verse at a time. But this psalm is a Hebrew acrostic. You know what that is? Same thing in Lamentations. We talked about that. Each of the verses get a letter of the Hebrew alphabet in consecutive order. There are 22 Hebrew letters and how many verses? 21. I said, wait a minute. Wait, what's that mean? So you start scanning through it, and guess what? In our way of saying it, the letter N is missing in the acrostic. It goes somewhere after verse number 13. And before verse 14. There should be a letter N. That's the way we think, because it's supposed to be a perfect alphabet, right? Now, maybe it would bother you to know this, but there are several acrostics in the Old Testament that are missing letters. Does that bother you? (laughs) Just a touch. There's an N missing. The letter N is missing. So, is that a problem? Well, we don't see it in English, so we're happy. We can march right through the text and say, no big deal. We don't see the alphabet in Psalm 145. We don't see how it's lined up like that. So we've been going on just like I was going on for all this study, thinking this is no big deal. Put it another way, just a a picture for you. Say that you have a beautiful diningware set. Say that it's an antique. came from your great-grandmother. Who got it from? Her great-grandmother, who might have come over on the Mayflower. All right? You, you, you said, oh, it's beautiful. The, the, the detail, the design on it, it's, it's just so perfectly patterned, and it's got that gold trim all the way around it, you know, that kind. It's really, really, really beautiful. And you have 12 plates. And you have 12 salad plates. No chips. And you have 11 bowls. Does it bother you? So you take it to the antique road show, PBS, and you say, I want to know the value of this. And they confirm everything you've heard. It's an antique. It's absolutely such a rare find. Very few sets of this in the world. That company went out of business, and this is all there is. And you'd have a fortune if... You had one more bowl. What do you do? You know what you do. You know what I would do. I get on Amazon and eBay and every place else. I'm looking for that bowl. I want one bowl to finish my set. Because we don't like something missing. Especially when it has value to us. Right? That's human nature. We like that. We don't like the pieces. Missing in the puzzle. This 500-piece puzzle, what do we want? 500 pieces. Exactly. 
So, the letter N is missing. And we think, well, what do we do with that? Do you know what the Septuagint guys did? You wouldn't believe this. They penciled one in. Because they couldn't stand it. They wrote a psalm verse to stuff in between 13 and 14. And literally, they call it 13.5. All right? And they put it in there, and they stuffed it in there, and they wrote out their own. And if you pull out a Septuagint, you'll find it. You'll see it right there in the middle of it. And you say, okay, what does it say? And this is what it says. Faithful is the Lord in all his words and holy in all his works. It just kind of penciled that in and said, that sounds like it would fit right there okay. And I don't think there's anything wrong with the statement. But those who study the Hebrew and all, they say, you know what? There's still a gap there and you just wrote this. Now this is what gets funny to me. Remember the story about these guys? Seventy of them put out on an island in separate rooms, translating each and coming out with the exact same copy, every one of them penciled in the same verse, the same words. Does that surprise you? You say, I think something smells bad in the refrigerator here. There's something wrong. I don't know what to put my finger on, but you know what they were doing? They were helping God out. He had a missing piece in his phone. So let's fix it. So it doesn't look bad. So they patched it in there. They made it look just right. They needed an end. They made up an end. God says, no, I left a piece out. On purpose. Because you know God did superintend and inspire his word, right? And when he had David write this out, he said to David, I'm going to paraphrase just for a minute. He said, skip the letter N. So David went and skipped the letter in. And David wrote it just like God said. And then it bugs us so much we want to clean that up. We say, no, let's put in an end. And God says, no, let's keep it out. Let's keep out that end. But, but it's a piece missing. So that's okay. That's okay. We can leave a piece out. It's really not incompatible with our Lord to leave a peace out. I want you to think about something today. Because we have this perspective we use a lot. We figured out God. We figured him out, who he is and what he does, and, and we lay this formula down in our day and in our experiences, and we say everything has to fit into our view of who God is and what God does. And when something happens that doesn't make sense, we question Him. Isn't that an interesting way of approaching this? We question Him. We, we, we question His sovereignty at times. They say, God, I thought you were in charge. That doesn't look like you're in charge. What just happened? doesn't look like you're... God, I know that you're good. Scripture says that, right? But that doesn't line up with what I think good means. Lord, you say that you answer prayers. But for some reason, it doesn't seem like you've answered this prayer and you're not going to provide for this need. That's our human reaction. 
when we see that the peace is missing. God purposely left out a peace right here to bring us to a place to say, I trust him still. It says that he is righteous in all his ways. It does, doesn't it? You see it in verse 17? He's righteous in all his ways. It says he's holy in all his works, or he's kind in all his works. John Calvin wrote this years ago, good 500 years ago. Though all acknowledge God to be just, most men are no sooner overtaken by affliction that they quarrel with his severity. Unless their wishes are immediately complied to, they are impatient. And nothing is more common than to hear his justice impeached. Wow, what a word we hear a lot. As it is in everywhere, abused by the wicked imputations men cast upon it. Here is the very properly vindicated from such ungrateful treatment, and asserted to be constant and unfailing, however loudly the world may disparage it. What are we abusing in verse 17? What do we doubt in verse 17? What does the world mock in verse 17? The very description of the Lord and His actions. Depending on your translation, I told you, you either have the word righteous and holy, or the word righteous and kind, or some word similar to that. Back in 1769, that was when the... By the way, you carry a King James that was written in 1769. Back when they cleaned it up for things they needed to do. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. It has stayed that way all since. That's pretty much the way Wycliffe translated it in 1390. That was a long time ago. The Lord is just in all his ways and holy in all his works. They did that in 1549 when Matthews wrote, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. And I kept tracing this translation down through the years because I'm trying to figure out how is kind and holy the same word? Doesn't seem to fit, does it? And so I kept tracing it as I went. And I saw in 1863, when Young put his translation, a literal translation, he said, Righteous is Jehovah in all his ways and kind in all his works. First time it showed up in 1860. What was going on then? Civil War. Who would have thought kind would fit right there? He put in the word kind. People say, wait a minute, kind? That's not what we had. In the revised version of 1881, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and gracious in all his works. And then you've got the New American Standard Version, the ESV and others that talk about he's kind in all his deeds. Or faithful. Anybody have an NIV, you see that word there. He's faithful. Faithful in all he does. And you may think that somebody's monkeyed here with your text. 
Just like the Septuagint had to pencil in a verse just to make it look right that the N was missing. Somebody must have been monkeying with it because righteous and holy seem to go well together. But righteous and kind? How does that work? How could he be righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds when we look at the world around us? That's the criticism the world will give you. What do you think all means? You would agree the Lord is righteous. I know you would. That the Lord is righteous in all his ways. He's done nothing less than righteous in all his ways. The keeping of the, of the psalm here, the theme of it is that all his righteous actions, all his character of greatness, We find that true of the Lord all the time. He is great in every category, right? He exceeds in every category. When we measure him size-wise, he's bigger, he's deeper, he's longer, he's larger, he's far more, he's higher, he's more powerful, he's wiser. In all his ways, put the attribute here and say it this way, he exceeds. No scale, no instrument can fully measure the greatness of our God. In other words, He doesn't merely meet the measure of righteousness. He exceeds it all the time. That's how great He is. Nevertheless, the Amplified Version, I always love bringing this guy up. The Amplified Version says it this way. The Lord is rigidly righteous in all His ways. In everything, the Lord is right. Think about that. In everything, the Lord is right. In every action, He does what is right. What if it doesn't make sense? He is right. What if he doesn't tell me why he did it? He is right. The whole story of Job. You know the story. You've read it perhaps. Or you've at least heard about it. The story of Job and the tragedies he experienced in chapter 1 and 2. Just terrible things happened where he lost everything, including his family. But God never in that entire book told Job why. Never once did he say, Job, let me explain what I just did. He did not do that. You see, the book was not written to provide solutions. It was written to prove sovereignty. There's a difference. Because if we believe that God is sovereign, then we will trust Him with the solution. If we believe that He is right, we may not know why that fits, but at least we know His character will not change. I can trust Him being right, can't you? I can live with that. Even when I don't understand it, there are some theological things that really put us in a quandary. We have no way to decide, what do we do with this? How do we do this? What is going to happen? We don't know. But when we stand before him someday, at the very end, we're all going to say, he's right. 
We're going to say he's right. Because that's the way he is. And he's not going to change. He's always, always, always right. Whether you carry a New American Standard or an NIV or ESV or anything like that. Whatever you're wrestling with, it doesn't matter. Whatever comes into your life, it doesn't matter. God is right all the time. For me, that's a comfort. He is kind all the time, too. You ready for this? Because this is where we try to fit it in and we say, you know, God, sometimes you don't seem to be kind, so we're going to pencil this one over and make it look better for you. Now, let's let it sit the way the Lord put it. He's kind. He's kind in all his works. All of them? All of them. All of them. You say, well, how how do you get that word when I got holy right in front of me? Holy in all his works. I could live with holy, but kind? I don't know how that worked out. By the way, if you dug up in Hebrew with me a little bit on this word, you're going to find it's not the usual word we use for holy. There is a word for holy that pops up all the time. This is not it. This is a word that can mean holy, yes. But I'll tell you what else it could mean. It could mean kind, gracious, loving, merciful, faithful. And when you say, well, what's its root word? Because that's always important. And you pull up the root word and you find this one big word called loving kindness. And that incorporates everything from love to grace to mercy, to patience, to kindness, to goodness. Everything is in one big word, loving kindness. And that is all over Scripture. If you take all the facets of God's character, and there's so much there, God is not one thing at the expense of another thing. He never is. Which is amazing, because He's 100% righteous all the time, and 100% Kind all the time and a hundred percent gracious all the time, hundred percent merciful all the time, hundred percent faithful all the time, hundred percent loving all the time. Theologically, it starts to stretch the brain a little bit, doesn't it? To say, that's big, that's what the psalm is saying, God is great. In everything. He's great. Not one single word could sum that up better than the word loving kindness. Because it tends to take all of those attributes and puts them all together and says, I can't give you a perfect picture of all of his character in one word without diminishing another word. But this word seems to sum up all the pieces. This is not contrasting one another. This is not oil and water and saying it doesn't mix. When you use the word loving kindness, you say merciful. You say faithful. You say kind. You say holy. You say gracious. It's all in that word. Let me read to you just a stuffy little definition, okay? Don't go to sleep. In general, one may identify three basic meanings of the word which always interact. Strength, steadfastness, and love. 
They all come together in one word. Strength, steadfastness, and love. Any understanding of the word that fails to suggest all three inevitably loses some of its richness. Love by itself easily becomes sentimentalized or universalized apart from faithfulness. Yet strength or steadfastness suggests only the fulfillment of a legal or other obligation. In other words, if you just pull one piece out, you have something that seems rigid and hard and can't move, and then how do you mix the other part in? So you cannot separate the concepts. They're all in the Word. You don't want love at the expense of steadfastness, or faithfulness at the expense of love. You want them all. That's the that's grandeur of such a worry, uh, word. It speaks of generosity. Not just loyalty, but also mercy. It's where the weaker party seeks the protection and the blessing of the, they seek the blessing of the one who will give it to them, strength and the protection of the one who's going to provide it for them. And though we, we need that, we need that, yet we can rest in who he is. You see the picture? We can stop and say, okay. I understand He's merciful to me, and some days that seems more than others, doesn't it? And some days it seems like He's more strict with me. Why? Because He loves you. Do you know that? And so He's walking you through life, and there are times when you feel one attribute a little stronger than the other, but that doesn't mean He pulled off the gas pedal on the other ones. You need all of them. If you want the full picture of God you start to understand that not one attribute is operating at the expense of another. They all, they all, when we use steadfastness for strength, we talk about truth, reliability, and faithfulness. We speak about love and His commitment and the permanence of it. It's so beautiful, folks. It's so beautiful to know that we have a God who does not change. And when He's right, He's right. You cannot separate it. So, folks, we're not talking about opposites when we insert the word kind. He is right and he is kind. He is right and he is holy. He is right and he is faithful. He is right and he is merciful. He is right and he is loving. All of them go together. Every part is true in every act, in every plan, in every word of God. He is this way. What the Lord has done for you is right. And what the Lord has done for you is kind. Exceedingly kind. I'm not talking about a little bit kind. Not in this context. For He's higher in His kindness than you've ever known. He's greater in His kindness than anything you could measure Him to. He's far far more uh, bigger, longer, deeper, you name it. His kindness exceeds because that's the way He is kind. In every single way, in every single measure, He is kind. He's always kind. He surpasses kindness. And in that, He's always right. Are you ready? I'm just prepping you. This is a picture of a great God who loves you. 
when you stand before him someday, folks, you're going to say this, just like the psalmist said in Psalm 85. Mercy and truth meet in God. Wow. Those are words that just kind of get the circuits popping, don't they? All at once, he's perfectly just, absolutely tender, completely compassionate. In all his works, he's just and he's tender. Amazing. Spurgeon says, his ways and works are both worthy to be praised. Jehovah cannot be unjust or impure. Let his doings be that they may, that in every case righteous and holy. This is a confession of the godly who follow his ways, and of the gracious who study his works. Whatever God is or does must be right. In the salvation of his people, he is as righteous and holy as in any other of his ways and works. He has not manifested mercy at the expense of justice, but the rather he has magnified his righteousness by the death of his son. And I stop right there and I say, wow, you know what? It always comes down to that, doesn't it? If you want to understand God's love, where do you look? At a cross. If you want to understand justice, where do you look? At a cross. Where do you want to find mercy? At a cross. Where do you find your peace? At a cross. Where do you find the wrath of God expressed in His foolish measure? At a cross. God did not leave us wanting to know if he was true, if he was faithful, if he was patient, if he was merciful, if he was loving, if he was caring, if he was just, if he was holy, if he was kind, he gave his son to prove it. That's an amazing thing, folks. That's an amazing thing. This is what, this is what we have. I go back to where I started. Give a man a bad situation. And he begins to doubt that God is kind, or that God is righteous. Remember I said this, and I'll read it to you again one more time, because this is what John Calvin wrote, and I think it just comes to the forefront. Though all acknowledge God to be just, most men are no sooner overtaken by affliction than they quarrel with his severity. Unless their wishes are immediately complied with, they are impatient. Nothing is more common than to hear his justice impeached. As it is everywhere abused by the wicked, imputations men cast upon it. Here it is very properly vindicated for such ungrateful treatment and asserts to be constant and unfailing, however loudly the world may disparage it. There are plenty of things to puzzle us. Have you noticed? A lot of things in life to puzzle us. We find pieces missing from our plans, from our experiences, from our theological system that we've figured it out. We say, well, there's a piece missing. There is a verse missing in the alphabet. Let's fix it. There's a plate or a bowl missing. Let's find it. There is a character trait here, God, that we don't understand. So we're going to pencil in what we want here to make you look better. Just let it stand, folks, and trust Him. 
Isn't that what it comes down to? See, praise is not just simply a reaction to what he's done for me today. Praise is a reaction to who he is. That's what the psalmist is trying to say. He's great, isn't he? You know what great means? It goes beyond my comprehension. And when he leaves a part out, it only proves it more. He's beyond my comprehension. I don't want a God I've figured out. I'll be honest with you. Because once I figure something out, I move on to another new mystery. I say, I I want the challenge. And so many times you say, just let me figure it out and I'll just be content with that. I don't want to be content with knowing Him. I want more. How about you? And if He leaves a piece out, wow, that's great! Because it shows me that He's God and I'm not. He knows the peace, and he knows where it's at. Do you trust him? That's the question. The psalm, it brought to my heart. These poor Septuagint guys couldn't handle it. He said, there's a peace missing. Why, God, have you set it up so wonderfully with 21 verses? He left out the 22nd. We wrestle with that. And here's your pastor saying, well, you ought to praise God because He's so great. And the heart responds, but He doesn't seem great right now because of my problem, because of my situation, because of what I'm going through, or what I've seen, or what I've witnessed, and all that. That's why I break you back to the psalm. His greatness is unsearchable. It's unsearchable. It goes beyond our feeble attempts to understand it, to express it. That's not a lame cover-up, folks. With a verse missing, I'm going to let it be missing because God wrote it that way. Let me read you one more thing. You don't mind this, I hope. I found this in a commentary as I was going along. and Some of these are really precious to me. These common blessings of God avail to interpret deeper mysteries. It is a reasonable faith that His works is all of what peace and in all His dealings the twin attributes of righteousness and loving kindness rule. There are enough plain tokens of God's character in plain things to make us sure that mysterious and apparently inconsistent things have the same character regulating them. That stopped me in my tracks. Because when I don't understand it, I should stop and say, but God didn't change. The same character that's so plainly seen in all these other things must still be true even though I don't see it here. How much can you see in the dark? I love the little Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's dark. I fear no evil. Why does he say that? Because, why? You are with me. I can't see him. But how do I know he's with me? Every single act he has done has proven he's with me. So why should I doubt? Because it's dark now. 
He's with me. And how do I know he's with me? Because he still uses his rod and he still uses his staff. And I may not see them, but I sure can feel them. That's the psalmist's picture of trusting God in the dark. And mysteries are dark to us. We want the answers. We want the solutions. We want to find the missing bowl. We want to pencil in the missing verse. We want the complete package. And God says, no, just trust me when that piece is missing from your thinking. Just trust me because I will not change. Just trust me because I'm great and I'm greater than you could ever imagine. In my kindness, in my faithfulness, in my love, in my mercy, in my holiness, in my righteousness, I will always be consistent. Trust me. Trust me. Because he has never failed. He has never failed to be right. And he never will. He is great at being right. He's always right. He has never failed you in kindness. Right? He has never failed you in kindness and he never will. He is always kind to you. He is great at being kind to you. And he will always be kind. Put any attribute you want in front of that. The Lord will exceed it every single time. The whole point is what? When you don't know why he did, you still know who he is. Can you handle that? We don't need to patch up his work to make him look better. We don't have to fix it. Here's the simple lesson. The lesson is that we need to know this so we can pass it on to the next generation. I fear that this next generation is going to have a harder life than we did. Have you ever thought that? You know what they need to know? God never changes. They need to know that. Who's going to tell them? Us. One generation to tell the next, right? If we don't act like God knows these things and is in charge and we can trust Him, how are our children going to think that? That's our job. We're to praise Him even when the pieces are missing so that our children and our grandchildren can know that He gets the praise when those pieces are missing for them too. That's where it comes down to. So I challenge you with this again this week, folks. When you read through this psalm, I hope you take time just to read through the beauty of this psalm. And when you get to verse 17, just stop and look at it again and see that word all and know that he's great and that will never change. And I don't care what word you want. If you want holy, if you want kind, you want faithful, whatever word you've got, just stop and say, thank you, Lord, for who you are and help me to trust you. And then I want to teach that to my kids. Heavenly Father, we've got a big responsibility in front of us here. Faith is harder. It's really hard at times. You knew that. That's why your word is so, so constant in telling us to have faith, to trust you, to trust you, to trust you. And someday when we stand before that throne, we're going to be able to say, Lord, you were right. You were kind. You were loving. And we're going to praise you. I hope we can start now. I hope we can praise you now where we are in this life. What we see in this life. To know your character has never changed. May we walk that way.
trusting you, trusting you. Because our children need to see it. Our grandkids need to see it. Work in our hearts and convince us so much of this that it just shows, shows to the generations that are looking at us that we trust you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for giving us a small glimpse. Again, a small glimpse is all we've got the ability to grasp, but may it be enough to say we trust you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.